the slide on the screen. I don't know if that's an old postcard or what. Obviously, it's some sort of painting or whatever. But that's kind of what I always pictured church-like. I mean, even growing up, that's what we did, right? Every Sunday morning, we, we got in the, the family station wagon, right? Sometimes we'd fight for who gets in the front or climbs in the back. And then uh, we'd go off to church. And it would look like that. The family would go first. And, and I, I love it. As an adult, I realized... That's not what going to church looks like, especially when you have young children, right? You're trying to get them in the car, you're arguing, and, and all the, the couples bickering in the, the parking lot. I just always kind of cracked me up that, that um, you know, it was never this picturesque thing sometimes getting to church on Sunday morning. But that's the, that's the image that, that I like to think of when I was younger. We, the family, just that's just where we were on Sunday morning. I love that. So let me just start. Let's reboot this day because it's gray, it's cold, it's sort of snowy. It was good morning, church. Good morning. That's right. We are the church. This morning, we continue the message series, Relevancy. And each week, we were walking through certain facets of our faith and asking the question, is this relevant? Does it still matter? Maybe even what's in this for me, right? As we discovered, the number one reason that people have set aside their belief in God is because they don't think that he's relevant to their daily lives, and this has affected everything from our diligence in praying, the frequency we open our Bibles, giving credit where credit is due for the blessings in our life, and most importantly, our willingness and desire to have a relationship with Him. So this third week, we're going to explore the relevancy of the church. And we'll conclude the series next week, but this week we're talking about the church. And as I was preparing for this message, I, I had to double check what I understood to be true. And as many times as the word the church appears in the Bible, at least in the translations I was studying, it wasn't used to describe a physical structure. Not a single time in the ones I looked was the church about a building. There were temples, there were synagogues, there were houses, there were courts, but there was never the church building. And we know the church isn't just the name we call the building but uh, that we gather. We know that a church is more than the gatherings themselves too. Regardless of when or where we meet, right? Sometimes we have church at places. We are the church and we are here and we go there. The church is this global body of believers. And, and the examples of each of these are found in the Bible of, of these gatherings that become the church, referred to as the church. And then, right, this global body of the church around the world Church is a translation from the Greek term ecclesia, and it's used in the New Testament to identify the community of believers in Jesus Christ. It, it literally means assembly or congregation or meeting, right? So the church is this gathering of us, right? This congregation, this body of people. A similar term is used in the Old Testament referring to experiences such as the day of assembly or the Lord's congregation or meeting before the Lord. And this is where the First Testament book Ecclesiastes comes it's the gathering of people. And throughout the scripture of the New Testament, we find that the crowds often gathered around Jesus as he spoke. Mark 2, 2 says they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them time and time again. Crowds gathered and gathered. And Matthew 13, 2, it says such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While the people stood in the store, he had to go out into the lake. I mean, what an awesome crowd that would be, like church on the water. Because there's so many people, I had to get away so everybody could hear him. And people gathered to hear his teachings. And as a church, as the church, we still do this today. We gather to hear Jesus' teachings and the readings of God's word. 
Jesus wants us to continue to gather, to gather together, to be together. He told his disciples to get together in Galilee after he had, was crucified and raised. And this is where he appeared to them and gave the instruction that would become known as the Great Commission. They were together to hear what he had to say. And he will call us to gather again when he returns. Matthew 24, 31 says, And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. They will gather. Matthew 25, 32, All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from his goats. We will be called to gather but in the meantime, he wants us to gather together now. Luke eleven twenty three says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. If you want Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you do need to gather with other Christians. But there's more to this, right? I mean, we know that when two or three gather in his name, he's here. But after we gather, he wants us to hear and learn and then go and do. We know the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples. Go and baptize, sharing the good news of the gospel. But that's what there are times we must go from the go, right? The one step further. Let me read from you Acts 6. I'm going to start at verse 1 of Acts 6. And, and this is where the disciples had gathered together, together. And they were doing Jesus' work, missionary work. Begin in verse 1. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so the church was doing what it needed to do. It was growing and making more disciples. It says the Hellenistic Jews, these are the ones that were Greek and doing some of the Greek language and the Greek teaching and the Greek culture. Among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, right? So you got the Greeks and the, and the Hebrews. Um, that the widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food, right? This is what happens when you gather people together, right? There's some competing interests and, and that's not fair. But it says, verse 2, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So they didn't stop once they had done the next ministry. They said, okay, we've got this up and running. We're going to multiply our leaders, right? We've made more disciples. We've made more ministers. They will stay, and we will entrust this ministry to them, and we will once again go and get back to the work of the Lord, prayer and the ministry of the word. Verse 5 says, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nacurin, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I showed this slide not long ago in one of our previous messages. It's the base camp of, of Everest, right? And to most of the world, no one will ever see this in real life. To several people who go, this is, this is what they aspire to. I'm going to get to that base camp. In the background is the peak, right? The summit. But there is a space camp where they all gather together and they get their energy and they get their, their guide and they get their tools and their equipment and they just get ready to go make that journey, right? And what do they do? Then they come back to the base camp. In a lot of ways, the church, this gathering is like our base camp. We come here, we learn, 
we get fired up, we revive us again as we just sang, right? We get fed spiritually and then we go out and we come back to get refilled. And sometimes we bring people back, we should be bringing back and help them get refilled. Sometimes we're the ones that need to be brought back. Sometimes we're the ones that are out there that need to be fed, okay? God never promises that this journey, this, this task is easy, right? So come back, stay equipped, stay connected to me, he says. If the church is more than a building, then what does the church do? What's it supposed to do? The Bible has much to say about the purpose of church. I kind of put some bullet points. The church is to teach biblical doctrine so that we can be grounded in truth, right? Ephesians 4, 11, 13 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ, right, the church, may be built up until we all reach unity and faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you hear that? There are several parts. You know, this doesn't even say it's an exhaustive list, but apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, each one to equip us in different ways, different facets as the church to build us up. We need every aspect of that to become fully matured. The church is to be a place of fellowship where Christians can be devoted to one another and honor one another. The Apostle Paul's letter to those gathering in places like Rome and Ephesus and Thessalonica tell us to instruct one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, encourage one another, and most importantly, love one another. Okay, that starts here and then we do it out there. The church is to be a place where believers can observe the Lord's Supper, remembering Christ's death and shed blood on our behalf. The words that I share during our time of communion can be found in Paul's letter to those gathering in Corinth. He was not there at the present that, but he, he did that. That was a practice of the early church, those earlier gatherers, just as Jesus said, to get together and remember him. Every time we get together to break bread, to remember the covenant, to remember the lamb that was slain for the forgiveness of our sins. This is where that happens. The church promotes fellowship. I said, we know this, don't we? But we sometimes confuse fellowship with evangelism, okay? Both are important parts of what we do. Inviting people in, yes, but teaching them the gospel is that other part, right? And along with these Acts 2.42, which gives kind of some of the instructions of what we do, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. Actually, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, right? And to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we talked about the relevancy of the apostles teaching through when we talked about scripture last week and the importance of prayer already in this message series. But now we can see who the relevancy of church brings these together or how these brings these together as we gather, not at church, but as a church. Where we're plugged into the prayer, where we're plugged into the fellowship, where we're plugged into the Bible, where we're plugged into our Savior. Another commission to give the church is to proclaim the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. And this is the Great Commission, Matthew 28. This is both an individual and a corporate commissioning, right? Meaning you are given this instruction directly, personally. Go and make disciples. Share the good news. Baptize. But he's also said that to us as a body of believers. You, church, my followers, ministers, my ongoing ministers, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. 
we are to take advantage of every opportunity to share the good news of the gospel, whether that's us alone with one other person or there's a group of us or we're doing it as a church. We are to do that. That is the commission that has been laid before each one of us, individually and collectively. And the church is to be faithful in sharing the gospel through word and deed. The church is to be a lighthouse as ascribed to the community, pointing people toward our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The church is to both promote the gospel and prepare its members to proclaim the gospel, right? To make other Christians, to make other ministry leaders, to make other disciples that can go and do what was done in the book of Acts in the early history of the church, which is to multiply ourselves because we can now get these ministries going and entrust it to people that have been raised up by the Lord to serve in this way that they may have never thought that they would ever be doing that. You ever done that? You find yourself in a ministry or a service of another person like this is so not where I thought I'd be, right? This is not the personality or, or where I'd end up or thought I could ever be capable of this. And you find, look back and go, wow, this is pretty cool. That's what happens when you let God use you for things like that. And when we promote that relationship and the, the prepare people to, to receive and proclaim the good news themselves, then you're preparing someone else to feel that as well. We can't overlook the missionary work of the church as well. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The church is to minister to those in need. This includes not only sharing the gospel, but also providing for their physical needs food, clothing, shelter, as necessary and appropriate. Now, sometimes we do a good job of that, and sometimes we get it backwards. We're like, well, we gave them this, or we gave them that, or we, we put money towards this. But, but we have to remember there is a spiritual need, and this is the difference between fellowship and evangelism, between um, an outreach and a, and a missionary work, and they're both completely important, absolutely, absolutely. So just thinking about what the church was designed to do, what it was supposed to do, what's, what had been done historically, it seems like it's relevant. It seems like these needs still exist today. I know I still need fellowship. I know I still need to improve my prayer life and stay connected to God. I know there are people out there that still have needs to be met, their physical needs, their, their emotional and spiritual needs. We prayed for many of them today already. So why is there this disconnect? And, and it's kind of interesting. There there are a couple things that, that I've come across lately or, or happened lately that helped me realize that there is a disconnect. And it's hard to see when you're inside the church. Why doesn't everybody want to be here? How can you possibly think this is important? Because I know what I feel like when I miss it, right? Flip the slide. Don't flip that slide yet. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's, that's where I was going. So go ahead and put up Starry Night. Do you guys recognize this picture, Starry Night Van Gogh? Maybe you've heard some of the story of, of, of Starry Night, and there's a couple things going on here, but, but one of the things that's been pointed out is the little lights on in the, the quaint little village, right? The warm and welcoming lights, except one building, no lights. No lights. You say there's no lights on in the church? Now, there's, there's theories on why Van Gogh left the lights off in the church. And I, I've heard some of them, and it's maybe because he didn't feel welcome in the church because of this or that. But this makes me sad. This makes me sad to think of this warm, beautiful world with, with its spires and its warm little village 
in this prominent church with this big steeple and not a single light on in the church. Maybe that's how people sometimes view the church. You remember this letter that was left at the garden for us? Did a whole sermon on this thing, right? The letter deserves a response. Someone who knows us and thanks us for what we do as a ministry, but thinks that they aren't welcomed in the church. Didn't say our church, but they think they're unacceptable to God. And I said, we're not doing a very good job of letting people know what church is then because there's not a single person that by our own grace would be acceptable to God. But here's the good news. We have been made acceptable. This person too, whoever they are, whatever they've done, whatever they think they've done, God says, you are acceptable. You're, you're better acceptable. You're loved. You're prized. You're cherished. And I think that's the message that gets lost when people think about church, that they're going to be judged, that they're going to be judged. We are, but not by each other. Someday, we'll have to give an account for what we've done. Isn't it great we have an intercessor? That we have someone that's paid the price that says, I knew that person. I knew that person, and I don't remember any of their sins. I don't remember any things they did wrong or said wrong. So the church was never intended to be a place. So whether the light's on or light's off in a building, that does not indicate what church is supposed to be like. It's a, it, it's a place that is dynamic. The, the, the church, the quote, quote, church of the New Testament is this dynamic place that, that travels. It, it's, a, it's a culture. It's a lifestyle. It's, it was never a prisoner of a building. You know, we saw a church meeting in a temple. We saw a meeting in a synagogue. We saw a meeting in the street. We saw a meeting behind the side of the sea. We saw a meeting in public places. We saw them more often in homes. The book of Acts describes a community of faith in constant movement. It said every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. That's fellowship. That's community. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. That is the mission of the church. That is from Acts 2, 46 and 47. Every day they got together. Every day they met. Every day they did the things they needed to do. And what did they get? It says they ate food and joy with joyful and sincere hearts, right? That, that's good. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all people. Peace, isn't that good? And every day the Lord added to their numbers. We know that's good. And it says the meetings were daily, but, but they weren't monotonous. Worship, fraternal communion, prayer, their work, mutual edification, giving testimony, taking care of the needs of the poor. You know, they weren't special programs. This is just everyday activities that they did. Those that observe the believer's way of life call them people of the way. Don't we want to be known as people of the way? We do. Christians. Sure. This is the definition of the church that we should consider when we, when we ask the question, is this relevant? Is this still needed? Let's look back at the, the scripture that, that Mark read this morning as the scripture, remember. It says the Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, friends, we're 2,000 years closer to the day. 
and think about that verse and the list of the characteristics of how the church is intended and has historically been and how the Bible reveals it to you and ask yourself, is the church relevant? Does the world still need the body of Christ living and breathing at work? Do you need the church to be one of these things for you, with you? What about to you? Like I said, there are seasons in our life where we need to be receiving the ministry because we just don't feel like we've got it another to give, and that's okay. I can tell you that there are people here that count on you to be an encouragement to them, even when we're small in numbers. There are people in this room that are counting on you to be one of these encouragers. <coughs> the church is a gathering of people who are diverse in many ways, many ways. But, but we're united by a few very important things. God made us all. God loves us all. God created each one of us with a purpose. God wants a relationship with us. We don't always do good things. We don't always think the best thoughts or say the right things. And sometimes we don't even recognize that we have one or remember or act like we do. But we all have a Savior. And if this is still what you want and still need and believe, so then, yes, absolutely, it is still relevant. And that's a very personal question to ask yourself. As with each message in the series, I, I really don't want to answer that for you, even though I think the answer just stares us in the face in each one of these. But if it matters to you, if church matters to you, and I, I think it is because you're here this morning, then that, that's awesome. As we reminded the last two weeks as we were considering the relevancy of prayer in the Bible, the church is a tool to help us understand the character and the promises and the desires of God while connecting with others and being encouraged as we gather together and then go out into the world. By spending time as a church, whether gathered in this building or doing its mission work outside this wall, we spend time with him. When we spend time with him, we open ourselves to the blessings of wisdom and also peace that we simply can't find anywhere else. Church, you, yeah, you, because you said, you said good morning when I said, hey, church, thank you for being what you are, a safe place to gather, a safe group to gather with, the hands and feet that continue to reach out into the community, a, a fellowship of diverse people, with a common ailment, that's his life in this world, and a common hope that is greater through Jesus Christ than this ailment that is the world. Doing the thing that Jesus Christ would do if he were physically here on earth. Will you continue to be that and be what he asks you to be, the light for others to see? Let's make that our prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to you with these questions, and we, we do so boldly, you say come to you and, and challenge you and, and test you in things. Lord, we've asked the questions, what, should, should reading the Bible be important anymore? Does it still matter? Lord, should, should praying, should talking to you be a priority? Does it, does it change anything? And Lord, this week, we ask, is gathering as a church, is being a church, even when we're not gathered, but when we're spread out in the world to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ, does that still matter? Lord, will you answer that for us? I know my answer. As for me and my family, I know my answer. But Lord, would you speak to each one of us and put a burden on our heart 
just to make it the level of importance that it needs to be in our lives, especially as we leave this place today. May we be changed for asking this question and for the answer you're giving to us. Lord, we thank you for challenging our minds, for giving us free will where we can ask these hard questions. And again, for opening our hearts and minds to the answer that you give to us. We thank you for that. And above all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we gather. It's in his name we pray. Amen.